Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we will continue on with our House Call monthly podcast series with UBS Asset Management. This podcast provides you an update on the House View equity portfolios here at UBS, including Dividend Ruler, QGARP, Opportunistic Equity Income, Midcap, and Large Cap Core, all very popular offerings with our UBS client base. For the conversation today, glad to have back with us, Jeremy Zirin. Jeremy is the head of the private client U.S. equity team for UBS Asset Management. Joining us as well, glad to have back with us, Dominique Shager, lead equity investment specialist with UBS Asset Management. Uh, Jeremy and Dominique will also spend some time on the current environment for equity markets. So Jeremy, Dominique, welcome back. And Don, let me pass it over to you to lead the conversation. Welcome. Thanks, Dan, and thank you for having us on the show. This year has certainly flown by. Uh, but with that, Jeremy, let's get started at a high level. The S&P 500 now stands nearly 12% higher than its bear market low on October 12th. What do you make of this 10% plus rally that we've seen so far in the fourth quarter? And what have been some of the main drivers behind this gains? Sure. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Don. Um, I think that it's helpful to remember that the, the market was at a year-to-date low with the S&P down 25% by the end of the third quarter, and the market fell you know, 9% in September alone. And so sentiment was so depressed and lopsided at the end of the third quarter that it really wouldn't have taken you know, too much good news or even just less bad news to push markets higher from those depressed levels. And so, you know, so taking a step back, what, what's actually happened in the past six weeks or so since the end of the third quarter that has been viewed positively? Well, first of all, you know, we've had earnings season, and I would say that earnings season, you know, was mixed, but not the disaster that many had feared. You know, while technology companies had some high-profile misses, and you know, there were pockets of softness concentrated in select industries within the consumer discretionary sector. You know, there were other pockets of strength either in travel or other service-related companies. And we also saw from, you know, manufacturers, whether they be in industrials or materials or even in consumer goods, you know, supply chain bottlenecks were showing, you know, greater signs of, of easing up. And then, you know, lastly, you know, on earnings season, you know, many companies still have pricing power. So they, they, we saw that many companies were able to deliver pretty healthy revenue growth. Uh, by you know, raising prices to protect their profit margins, and so for you know, in some you know, for earnings season at the end of the day, you know, S and P 500 earnings were up or uh, on pace to be up about four percent year on year, um, and they delivered three percent earnings beats during the quarter, and, and that was I think broadly supported for the first few weeks of the quarter. And then the big catalyst for stocks over the past week or so was the CPI report that finally showed that core inflation, which is inflation less food and energy, you know, is starting to decelerate on a month over month basis. And, you know, that alone sparked a five and a half percent one day rally in the S&P, a significant decline in bond yields and one of the biggest rallies in the history of the NASDAQ where the NASDAQ comp was up over 70 percent. So, you know, putting it all together for, for a market that, you know, entered the quarter, you know, fearing that we were likely to see an imminent economic downturn, very downbeat corporate profits and a continuation of stubbornly high inflation, just signs of some stability in 
the earnings trajectory, as well as, you know, that single data point of more benign inflationary pressures was enough to boost stock prices so far this quarter. So you're mentioning stability and maybe just the concept of less bad news as a driver for some of this market performance. Do you think this is just another bear market rally or are you more optimistic that the markets can continue to climb from here? And how does this compare to the rebound that we witnessed midsummer? Remember that bear market rally that abruptly ended in mid-August? Yeah, I think the bar is now higher, and I remain fairly cautious on the market outlook for the next six to nine months. I don't necessarily think we're out of the woods yet on inflation. It's certainly encouraging that the CPI last month you know, did show signs that, at least on a year-on-year basis, inflation is peaking and we're seeing some deceleration in some of the more you know, high-frequency readings. There is still a long way to go to get inflation back down to anywhere close to the Fed's 2% target. I would also note that you know we've seen head fakes before with a benign inflation print only to be followed by inflationary pressures that reversed over the next couple of months. And so regardless of what I think uh, on inflation and the trends of inflation, I think the Fed is going to need to see a lot more evidence that inflation is slowing uh, before uh, they start to pivot to less restrictive monetary policy. And ultimately, I still worry that the Fed hikes that we've already seen is going to put meaningful pressure on economic growth over the next few quarters. Now, it's important to remember that you know monetary policy doesn't work with a lag. And so the higher rates that we've seen over the past uh, nine months, as the Fed has raised rates by nearly 400 basis points, you know, should translate into slower growth over the next few quarters. And considering that the economy is not exactly super robust and is on somewhat shaky ground currently, uh, it doesn't. It won't take much to to push the economy into uh, a recession in 2023. And I think investors need to increasingly start preparing for that outcome. You know, we also know from history that bear market rallies can be quite powerful and often extend further than fundamentals would suggest. Uh, and Don, you mentioned the you know, 17% rally that we saw from mid-June to mid-August. Um, and now we have a, a rally of, of roughly, you know, 11 to 12%. We've done some work comparing, you know, the two rallies. And our conclusion is that, you know, the current rally likely won't have too much more upside unless we continue to get much you know, clearer evidence that inflation is peaking. You know, the reason I say that is that, you know, comparing, you know, this, uh, you know, bear market rally that started in early October to the, the summer bear market rally, you know, interest rates are about 100 basis point higher. We've seen the Federal Reserve's senior loan officer survey come out and show that 40% of banks are tightening lending standards, which historically has been a good leading indicator for softer S&P 500 profits going forward. You know, valuations are what's attractive here. We're at 17 times earnings, and uh, you know the rally that we saw over the summer saw valuations go from you know 15 to 18 times earnings. And then I would also say one of the factors that helped drive that summer rally was we were coming off the very high oil prices that spiked post the uh, Russia invasion of the Ukraine, where oil prices had gone to as high as $120 a barrel, and what what coincided with the 17% rally from mid-June to mid-August was oil prices falling from $120 to, to $90. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that same type of relief in the oil patch and given higher valuations and higher interest rates. It's just going to be a tougher hill to climb from up to, to continue to rally uh, in, in, in this 
in this uh, in this upswing. Gotcha. So let me let me switch gears for a minute. With third quarter earnings season coming to a close, earlier on the call you mentioned that um, earnings for a lot of the secular growth companies, in particular tech stocks, were generally disappointing. However, despite this, we've seen tech stocks surge after last week's softer than expected inflation reading. What's your outlook for the tech sector, and maybe more broadly, your views on growth versus value? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I get to ask those questions frequently, and, and you know, they're not mutually exclusive. And what I mean by that is that you know, the, the technology sector is over 40% of the large-cap growth index. So the views on technology certainly certainly play a, a very large role on the, the outlook and the views on you know growth versus value, and and the big headwind for technology this year has been its high valuation premium. Um, now it's declined somewhat versus you know because of the you know interest rate rise that we've seen, but tech still continues to trade at a at a, at a pretty high premium relative to history. It certainly doesn't look all that cheap, even with uh, the valuation reset that we've seen. Uh, the tech sector trades at a, a 25% premium to the S&P 500 compared to its 10-year average premium of about 7%. And I think that what we're seeing is, you know, a transition from a market that is, you know, worried about tech sector valuations to one that is worried about tech sector earnings. Right? And so I'm still cautious on the tech sector. I recommend and, and implement an underweight in you know our strategies uh, and tech more than any other sector you know really benefited quite a bit from the acceleration of all things digital uh, during the pandemic uh, and as the economy and, and social impact of COVID is now not nearly acute as it was you know one or two years ago we're seeing you know technology companies faced with tougher tougher comparisons and ultimately slowing growth and you know the proof is in the data, right? As of the in the third quarter earnings season, what we saw was that you know value stocks delivered stronger revenue and earnings growth on a year-on-year basis relative to growth stocks, and that's simply not supposed to be the case. You know, growth stocks, by definition, are faster-growing companies. So I'm still in the camp that you know value can continue to outperform, and that IT uh, information technology sector uh, is likely. Uh, an underperforming sector, you know, over the next you know, six to 12 months. So keeping the conversation on sectors, this year we've seen big gains in the energy sector. In fact, energy stocks have been one of the largest contributors to value outperformance here today. So what do you think energy can continue to outperform? I do. I, I still like the energy sector here. And I mean, I think we have to put, you know, some, uh, some of the data and the outperformance in, in context. I mean, energy is up 67% this year, I mean, with the S&P 500 down roughly 16 or 17%. And so there's little chance that energy can keep up this pace of outperformance. But yes, I think the sector can still outperform you know, over the next year or so. I think at the end of the day, the driver of the energy sector is oil prices. And you know, oil prices tend to drive the earnings for, for, most, for most energy companies. And so looking at oil fundamentals, you know, supply and demand, the core fundamentals, uh, for, for oil. I mean, on the demand side, you know, you find that energy is, you know, demand is relatively inelastic. You know, people use a ton of energy products for everyday living, whether it's driving to work or eating their homes. Uh, another support for demand is that, you know, we, we have elevated oil prices in the, in the 80s, $8 per barrel. And this comes at a time when, you know, China, the, one of the largest consumers and purchasers of oil, uh, has had a lot of COVID restrictions and rolling lockdowns. 
And so, you know, the timing is unclear, but once China gets past its COVID restrictions and, you know, relaxes its zero COVID policies, uh, it'll likely be a very uh, significant incremental source of demand for oil. And then, you know, finally in Europe, you know, elevated gas and coal prices because of the, the war in Ukraine are, are starting a switch to oil for power generation. And so on the demand side, we're seeing pretty resilient demand and, you know, potential upside uh, from China over the next year or two. And on the supply side, you know, what are we seeing? We've seen that OPEC plus is, is actually cutting output, kind of fears of a global recession. We're seeing that the strategic oil reserves releases in the U.S. and other OECD nations are, are due to end in the fourth quarter. And, you know, all of this occurs is Europe is set to ban Russian oil imports by the end of the year. And so, you know, when we get, put it all together, you know, I think that you're still going to have a relatively tight oil market, which is going to lead to elevated oil prices. And then maybe the last thing I'll note is that, you know, the market's very focused on sectors that can produce high free cash flow and that can return that cash flow to shareholders, uh, you know, via dividends and share buybacks. And energy companies are amongst the leaders in dividend growth this year, given the, the very strong cash flows they're generating. And so in an environment where, you know, returning capital to shareholders, especially via dividends, is incredibly valuable to encourage, you know, low expected returns uh, from equities. I think that just adds further, you know, fuel, no pun intended, to the, the bullish argument that energy can continue to outperform. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, like that that yeah, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was in mute, but yeah, delayed the reaction there. Um, so one of the more painful aspects for investors this year has been the fact that stocks and bond portfolios have both performed poorly. You know, historically, we've seen bonds as typically holding up better during equity bear markets. Can you explain maybe what happened to this dynamic and what are the implications for the traditional 60-40 portfolios, right? Is the 60 portfolio dead, I guess, is the main question. But I think the answer is no. We just had a, a unique period where you had negative returns for both stocks and bonds and the correlation between stocks and bonds, which is typically negative, uh, was positive. And so when you dissect why, the rationale of what actually happened, you know, you have to look at, you know, what happens normally, right? Most bear markets are driven by recessions and declining corporate profits. And what's been unique about the 2022 bear market in equities thus far is that it was really driven by inflation and its impact on valuations for both stocks and bonds. And so maybe even taking a step further back, right, we've, we've largely been in a disinflationary world for the past 40 years since, you know, the early 80s. You know, where interest rates have declined and, and that has, you know, been a support for bond prices and, and, and uh, has helped stock valuations as well. And, and this year we saw a sharp rise of inflation, much greater than anticipated. That drove interest rates from, you know, generational lows of, you know, 1% or so on the 10 year treasury to over 4% uh, in a very rapid fashion. So that means bond prices declined and stocks, which were trading at over 20 times earnings at the beginning of the year, you know, derated, i.e., you know, valuations compress as well. You know, and this happened despite the fact that earnings this year have been fairly resilient and the S&P 500 is on track to deliver mid-digit earnings growth. I would say that the silver lining and why I don't think the 60-40 portfolio is dead uh, is that, you know, expected returns for long-term investors have improved substantially for both, you know, asset classes. 
Uh, and I say long-term because valuation is not a very good short-term timing tool. Uh, so this is not saying that the correlation will break in the next three or six months. That what, what I am saying is that, you know, over the long-term, valuation matters, and long-term meaning five to ten years of expected returns, and that, you know, with bond yields now closer to 4% instead of 1% a year ago, and with the S&P 500 uh, price-to-earnings ratio four or five multiple points lower than over a year ago, you know, we should see much better returns because our starting point in valuation is at much more normal levels. And in fact, our, our asset management investment strategy group uh, wrote a report last month that looked at this and, you know, they calculated that five-year expected returns for a 60-40 portfolio has risen from 3.3% to 7.2% over the past 15, uh, over the past 15 months. And so, you know, ultimately with bond yields now closer to fair value, you know, we should see bond yields act more as a, of a, uh, of a diversifier going forward, meaning that, you know, if the Fed is successful at warding off high inflation and economic growth declines, I think that you'll see bond yields, be, you know, fall, i.e. bond prices be more resilient, which can be an offset to, you know, any weakness you see in equity markets. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, Dom, Jeremy, thank you again for spending some time with our listeners and our clients. If you do have any questions or are looking for more information on the Houseview equity portfolios for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your UBS financial advisor. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 